guys, welcome back. Today I want to look at one of the uh, most treasured verses of Scripture in the uh, Old Testament that we read from the book of Deuteronomy, and it's in chapter 8, and it's, uh, and it's basically Moses speaking to the second generation of Israelites that came out of the land of Egypt, because we remember that because of the disobedience of their fathers, Numbers chapter 14, uh, in their rebellion against God, God did not permit that first generation, the original generation that came out of Egypt to enter into the land of promise. And God swore that they would die in the wilderness in a period of 40 years, that is throughout the duration of the leading in the wilderness, and that their younger children would actually go into the promised land, all who were under the age of 20. And so as Moses is speaking to this generation who is about to go into the land of uh, uh, the promised land that, that they will be led by Joshua, we know that this is the case. Moses, uh, he beckons them to recall their journeying, to recall those 40 years in their journeying through the wilderness. And this is where we are in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So it is important, but even before we start there, a couple of things, because always, whenever we look at the scripture, we, we want to understand what God was saying to the audience that he originally spoke or wrote to and the practical application of the passage. That is, what do these things mean or teach us? So, before we even begin, there is something that, and we're not going to go look at the passage directly, but it's in both Exodus 13 as well as Exodus 40. And that is, what we need to remember and understand is, God always led the people in their journeyings by virtue of being in the cloud. Again, Exodus 13, we see that the cloud was never taken away from the people throughout the 40-year duration of their so-called, and we hear this often stated, wandering in the wilderness. But I like to say that it was in their journeying in the wilderness. So in Exodus 13, this is the beginning of their journeys. While they were in Egypt, when they, when they were beginning to leave from Egypt, the cloud of glory was always present, leading and directing the Israelites in their journey. We see that at the beginning, first leaving Egypt in Exodus 13, and we see the reminder in, in I'm sorry, I hope I said Exodus, because sometimes I talk too fast, guys. But Exodus chapter 13, and also in Exodus chapter 40, at the very end, that is at the uh, erecting of the tabernacle, that reminder is once again stated how that glory cloud was always present with the people, how that the cloud of glory was set upon the tabernacle when it was time for the people of Israel to make camp and to remain at camp as long as the cloud was over the tabernacle. And once the cloud of glory lifted off the tabernacle and wherever it would go, it would also lead the people of Israel. But the point being, and this is the stress point, wherever the children of Israel went, 
they went at the direction of the Lord. And wherever the children of Israel encamped, they encamped there at the direction of the Lord. So now let's just simply get into the verse. And then we want to give the proper reflection that God had given the children of Israel through Moses to reflect upon. So let's go to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses number 2 and 3. That's our primary objective in looking at verses 2 and 3 and reflect upon what these verses said to the Israelites and what they say to us today. Verse 2, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So now notice, he begins to say to them, he says, recall these 40 years in the journeying that the Lord has led you. That is where we can reflect on like Exodus 17, when he led you to the wilderness of sin, where you found no water and where he led you to Massah, places that these are places that they renamed, or Mara, or bitterness, and all of these different places where God led them. And this is why I took you to you. I took you to recall how the glory cloud led them the full 40 years in the wilderness. And this is what Moses is saying, that the places that you were led to, you were led by God and God led you to these places with a purpose. And notice what he says in that purpose of God. He led you uh, that he might humble you, that he that that he humble you and put you to the test to know what was in your heart. And then this humbling, this is the idea of when they were led to the different places where there was no water or when they were led to different places where there may not have been sufficient food or where they had even certain desires for meat like they had in the, the land of Egypt. But all of these places, wherever they were led, where there was some sort of absence, note God led them there. And the question becomes, did not God know that when he led them to this particular place that there was no food or did not God, the all knowing God, know that when he led them to this particular place that there was no water? God knew that there would be a deficiency in certain things in certain places when he led them there in the first place. So it was God's intent for them to be led to these places and to the which they would have an absence of the things that they need. But let me continue on. Testing you that to know what was in your heart. Now, this idea is not that God was trying to discover what was in their heart, but the idea is God is making known what is in their heart. And the whole point is God is bringing to the surface for them to know what was in their heart. That is, when you see the tests come about, per se, there is no water. And now let's look at how the people react 
to, uh, to God or how people react in the situation when there is no water. And what do we see? And we see it all the time. The people constantly murmuring, grumbling, and complaining against Moses, Aaron, and even primarily we know for the, for since Moses is not the one leading them to this place, their actual complaint was against God. So what? The testing was not done so that God would see what was in the people's heart, but to bring to the surface for the people so that they may know what was in their own heart. You are not what you thought you were. I think that's the best way for me to put this, okay? Spiritually, you were not where you thought you were. Why? Because it is evidence in your behavior. But however you act, however you act and however you respond in the test, it becomes the proof of who you truly are. So if you mama and complain and act in all types of vile ways, because remember, sometimes the people would act in such ways that Moses himself say, these people are about to kill me. This is truly the evil that's in your heart that is being made known. But let me continue on. So God is using you, using these situations. He is bringing you to certain places where you lack to bring to the surface the true nature of who you are. And what is Moses saying? Moses is saying to this second generation, think back over all of these different places and how God tested you by allowing you not to have certain things. So what? He may bring to the surface that he may evidence what? Who you truly are. But let me continue on. So that it will be made known so that it was made known what? whether or not you would keep the commandments of God. So the testing came to see, or more, more accurately, to, to accurately to say it in an interpretive manner, to show whether or not you would actually keep God's commandments. How do we know whether you would keep God's commandments or not? It is not because you said that you would. It's because when God led you into certain situations of depravity or when you lacked certain things, this proved whether or not you would keep his commandments or not. This was observed in what you did. Okay, but let's continue. Verse number three. Again, some sort of almost like a repetition, but here we see the, and the important thing here are the verbs that are being used. And I don't want to get deep into grammar, but let's look at what he says. Verse number three, he humbled you and he let you be hungry. He fed you with the manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, remember when I talked about the verbs that are being used, what we basically see here, and I'm not going to get into a lot of the Hebrew, is basically verbs that are used in the uh, 
peel and the hiffle stem, and the hiffle is the predominant stem of the verbs that are being used here. And when we see the peel and the hiffle stem, that basically means these are in the causative sense. That is, the subject is causing the object to, uh, to experience that verb that is being used. That's why it says what? He humbled you, this is actually the peel, and he let you be hungry. He suffered you to be hungry. That's that hiffle stem. The reason why you were hungry is because God made you hungry. The reason why you, was hun you were hungry is because you following after that cloud and God led you to a place where there was no food. So this was the intentional act of God. God desired for you to be hungry. God desired for you to be thirsty. God desired for you to experience some kind of lack. God desired for you to suffer in some sort of a way. So, but let's look at the verse. And in this suffering that the children of Israel experienced, whether by thirsting or by the lack of food, what was the overall intent of it? It was the humbling of them. It was to bring them low. It was to bring them to the point of desire, to bring them to the point of lack. All of this was the intention of God. And this is the beauty of these verbal tense, verbal stems that I was telling you guys about, whether it's the hiffle or the peel tense, God is the one who is, he is the agent who is causing the object, the people of Israel to experience these things. And what, going back to the verse, to experience hunger so that God, notice, he allowed them, not only simply allowed because that's too weak. The verbal form in the Hiffel stem is God is causing them to be hungry. Why? So that God can feed them. And notice, God fed them with food that they did not know about and neither was ever known from their fathers. They never knew what this food was, this manna, which literally means, what is it? God fed them with the bread from heaven, with a bread from heaven. Let me say it that way. He fed them with the bread from heaven. Why? So that God would sculpture their dependence upon him. They would have to look to him for the bread. So God fed them with the bread that came from heaven to make them understand what? Man does not live by bread alone. And I like this too, but I don't want to get a lot into grammar. But here, when it says man, it, it, we translate it uh, 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 in an indefinite sense, simply saying man or any man. But actually, in the Hebrew, there is a definiteness that supplied for man, the man. That is the man who is God's man, the man who walks by faith the man who trusts in God, the man who has a relationship with God. Tell me about this man who has a relationship, this definite individual who has a relationship 
with God that man does not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that is uttered from the mouth of God. The man who has a relationship with God, the man whom God has saved, he does not live even, and I like the beauty of this, because notice something. Bread, is, which is food, is a necessity for life. And again, what? Water is a necessity for life. So what is God trying to say? Even in the things that we consider to be the very necessity for our life, our lives, the man, the Christian, the believer, our life is not derived from physical substance. Our, our true life, you see the beauty of that? Our true life is not derived because we have food to eat or because we have clothing to wear or because we have shelter. This is not where true life is comes from. True life for the believer comes from faith and dependence on God, the God who will supply all of our needs through his riches, the abundance of his riches and his glory. Our life is supplied because we are trusting every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our trust is in the Lord. It is the Lord who would provide for all of our needs. It kind of takes my mind back to uh, when Jesus, after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness for the purpose to be tempted by Satan himself. And Jesus was 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness without food, and Satan came in that situation knowing that Jesus was indeed hungry. And what did he say? Since, that is, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread, feed yourself. But Jesus understood the situation, and Jesus understood the purpose whereby the Spirit of God had driven him into the wilderness in the first place. And how did Jesus respond? Jesus said, what? If the father had desired for me to eat, he would feed me. But since the father has led me into this deserted place where there is no food, it is the will of God for me to be without food. So therefore, my response to you, Satan, is no. I have the power, indeed I do, to turn these stones to bread. I have the power to feed myself, but clearly it is not the will of the Father for me to feed myself, so therefore I am going to wait on the Lord. And what did Jesus do? He quoted this very verse to Satan. Man does not live by bread alone, but what? every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what can we learn? Number one, God, even Moses, as God spoke to Moses here, he spoke to them saying, consider all of the difficulties that you had through the duration of these 40 years and how God allowed you to suffer so many things. What was the end result? He humbled you. In these sufferings, God humbled you so that what? 
you would come to the point where you recognize, number one, your spiritual status before the Lord. That is, when I talk about spiritual status in this sense, that is how indeed you fail the test. You fail the test spiritually, and that in the failing of all of these tests, you will begin to consider what? Your absolute need for God in all things. Your need for God greater than the need for food. Your need for God greater than your need for water. Why? It is God who will supply all of these things for you in the first place. And therefore, your total need, your greatest need will be in God. So consider this. God allowed you to suffer so that you would look to him and depend on him. Now, let's look at how this has a practical teaching for us today. So it is for the believer Sometimes God allows us to suffer and sometimes God allows us to go through hardships. There are times when you say, you know, number one, that God is disciplining us. You see, disciplining to discipline the believer is a two edged sword. What do I mean? Sometimes discipline comes as a means of chastisement. That is we did something wrong and God is chastising us as his sons, Hebrews chapter 12, and I believe it's Proverbs chapter three. God is chastising us as his sons for corrections. But then there are times when we begin to think for ourselves, I don't think that I did anything wrong. Then why is God allowing me? Because God is a sovereign God and God is in control of everything in my life. Then why is God allowing me to suffer? And why is God allowing these hardships in my life? What we learn from Deuteronomy is not only God is allowing, God sometimes causes. Remember the beauty of that peel and that hifil tense of those Hebrew verbs. God not only allows, but God is the one behind these events in our lives. Because what? God, sometimes God would do. Let me try to give some explanation behind it as we bring the video to a close. God knows sometimes just who you are. And we kind of see that in the writing of the apostle Paul, when Paul says God allowed the messenger of Satan, God allowed Paul to have what? A thorn in his flesh. Why? Lest he should exalt himself above measure. Lest the pride that is a residual in Paul's very nature should rise and bubble up to the surface and begin to take the glory from Christ and take that glory to himself. God knew that Paul was subject to being lifted up in pride. So sometimes God will cause things to happen in a preventive. Notice I said preventive sense. He allow it to come to pass, allow hardships to come because what? God can say, I know you and I'm going to do this in a way. Uh, I'm going to give you medicine 
to inoculate you in a preventive sense because if I didn't, you would surely do this. So sometimes in a preventive case, and then sometimes as we see it here with the children of Israel, in the case of, the, I'm speaking of the second, the second part of the side of discipline now, in the sense of preparing them or instructing them, teaching them, making them to go through these experiences so that they would know. And so what? Sometimes God causes us to suffer. He causes things to happen in our lives so that we would learn to depend on God. And this sometimes, for the most part, is one of the primary reasons that God causes or introduces trouble in our lives to teach us. What did Moses say? That you may know that you don't live. The very essence of life does not come by having your needs met in the material world. The very essence of the Christian life comes through our faith and dependence on God and God alone, knowing what in the end that he will supply all that all that we need and he will give us all the things that he desires to give us when he desires to give them.